welcome to The Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. And I believe God is holding back until like that thing David wrote this morning, Lord, I can't live another day without the fire of God. You need the fire of God to pray. You need the fire of God to see visions. You need the fire of God to recognize there's no help for us. I don't want to try as I've done so long. Like David in Psalm 80, Oh, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, Lord, don't stay there. Come down here. We need God here. Does it matter if it breaks your heart today? You can have million, millenniums in eternity. There'll be no sorrow there. You can't patch up your prayer life when you get to the judgment seat. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. This period we're in now is a dressing room for eternity. That's all it is. On our podcast today, we are going to talk about prophetic history with one of my favorite revivalist, and that is Leonard Ravenhill. In fact, you may not know it, but spiritual genealogy, you are probably connected or influenced by Leonard Ravenhill, and you may not even know it. Now, if you go back to episode 71, we talked about Samuel Chadwick. Ravenhill was a student at Chadwick's seminary and was greatly influenced by Samuel Chadwick. But let me back up and give us the entire story of Leonard Ravenhill. Uh, And before I do that, though, I want to talk about why I picked Leonard Ravenhill. I'm going to give a little brief testimony of my connection to him. In high school, I was in a youth group, a very small youth group. In fact, Bruce and Marsha Headley, who've been on our program before. They were pastors at the church that I went to, and we did a discipleship program called Fire Institute through Rich Wilkerson. Now, Rich Wilkerson is the nephew of David Wilkerson, and David Wilkerson was mentored by Leonard Ravenhill. So there's sort of this roundabout connection. And this discipleship course that we did had uh, required reading books that went with it. And one of the books that we read was called Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill. And now this book was written in the 50s, and it had some things to say about communism because that was uh, during the height of the Cold War, the things that were going on at that time. But the things in this book just challenged me and took me to a whole nother level. And I can definitely say that Leonard Ravenhill has had a direct impact on my life. I've got some underlined things here. Now, I underlined this in high school, so it's fun to go back and see the things that I underlined here. But I wanted to read this, just some of the things that he said in the book. And this pretty much sums up his ministry. He says, the church must first repent, then the world will break. The church must first weep, then our altars will be filled with weeping penitence. Amen. That's pretty much sums up his his ministry. It's a ministry that spoke about the value of prayer. It spoke spoke about that revival comes as a result of prayer and brokenness, and that we can't seek 
just the supernatural things of God, but we have to seek Jesus himself first. Uh, This was pretty much sums up the message of Leonard Ravenhill. Now, he was considered a radical. I like that. (laughs) That's okay. I've also got some interview excerpts that I want to put in here, but let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the Genesis to get a full understanding of Leonard Ravenhill, and then we'll come forward, and then I'll talk about his influence on the church today. And uh, you can't get more prophetic than Leonard Ravenhill. So let's start with his parents. I want to go all the way back to his parents. Uh, His father's name was Walter Ravenhill, and he was born in 1875 near Leeds, England. And uh, Walter Ravenhill grew up Catholic, but he was a nominal Catholic who uh, did not regularly attend church. Now, Walter worked for the Duke of Argyle. He worked in his household in the House of Argyle. Now, let me briefly explain who these people were. So the Duke of Argyle, he was John Campbell, the ninth Duke of Argyle, and he was married to Queen Victoria's daughter, Louise. He was also the governor of Canada. So he worked for this uh, household who were very influential in the world and very connected to Queen Victoria. So at the very highest echelons of upper society and those who were involved. In fact, the Duke of Argyle was part of the House of Lords. So you see that Walter has been around this sphere of people. And Walter gets fired from his job because he has a problem with alcohol. Now, Walter's parents, about halfway between London and Leeds, which there's about a four hours between London and Leeds. They run a tavern. Walter is raised in a bar, and he began to be a drinker. Well, sometime around 1905, 1903, 1904, 1905, somewhere in there, he is lodging in a house, and they have a granddaughter named Lucy Johnson. And so she is a Methodist. And by the way, at this time, Methodists were a little edgy. They were happening, you know, they were on the edge and definitely considered more radical. And the holiness movement as a result of John Wesley was sweeping, especially England at this time. And so Lucy Johnson is one of these people. And they meet, they fall in love, and they get married. And they have a daughter named Anne, and then they have a son named Leonard. Well, while Lucy is pregnant with Leonard, she would lay hands on her stomach and pray and sing over her unborn son all the time. This was something she did all the time. And when Leonard was born, uh, the nurse leaves and hands Lucy baby Leonard, and she said that she prayed over him laid hands on him, and asked God to make him a preacher. And boy, did the Lord do that. What a prophetic beginning to Leonard's life. I just, I love this. And so Leonard grew up in a home where his mother was a devout Christian. Uh, His father was not. His father, by this time, had become a steel worker in the local steel mill there in Leeds. And so he was working all the time. And 
his grandmother up the street had, who was also a devout Methodist, had a profound influence on Leonard. In fact, he said he would love to go when he would stay with her and spy on her. She frequently would sit in her rocking chair and she would take her apron and pull it up over her head and she would sing hymns and pray and she called it her tabernacle. And so Leonard loved to watch his grandmother uh, when she was rocking in her chair and singing praises to the Lord. And so that had a profound influence on him also. And so uh, Leonard is born in 1907, and that's when her his mother sort of dedicates him to the Lord. And in 1912, when Leonard was around five years old, Walter has this amazing encounter in his life. So Lucy asked that Walter will go with her to the church And Dave Matthews, David Matthews, who is a famous minister at this time, he was coming to their local congregation, to their local Methodist church to speak. And so she asked her husband to come with her, please, to come hear David Matthews speak. Now, let me talk just for a second about who David Matthews is. David Matthews was uh, extremely uh, important and famous at this time. He had been going around and giving lectures because he was a first-hand witness to the Welsh Revival and Evan Roberts and the things that happened there. In fact, later he will write a book called I Saw the Welsh Revival, and he uh, goes on this speaking tour, and it started out where he would just first speak about what had happened uh, to his local church, and then other churches asked him to speak, and then Bible study groups and universities, because remember, back in this time, most universities are Christian and have seminaries attached to them, and so David Matthews would travel around and talk about what he witnessed at the Welsh Revival. And I'm just going to sidebar for one minute here and talk about the power of being a prophetic witness, about being prophetically in the right place at the right time, and that this man's entire ministry was born out of just being a witness and telling the things he saw in the Great Welsh Revival. So I think that's just amazing. So David Matthews comes to their local church, and Lucy and uh, Walter go to hear him speak, to hear about the Welsh Revival. Now, you have to remember, they don't have television at this time. Radio is not really, not everyone has access to that. You have newspapers and pamphlets, and then you would go and hear people speak, or you would go to the theater and see a play. So those were Those were, in a lot of ways, it was entertainment for people. So maybe Walter went out of, you know, entertainment. So he goes, but he is so moved by the things that David Matthews is talking about that he he gets saved. He gets converted. And like I said, he was a heavy drinker. Now, from this point forward, he says he never took another drink. In fact, Leonard likes to tell the story that he had a pipe collection. He was a heavy smoker, and he had collected all these smoking pipes. And uh, Leonard came home, and he noticed that the collection of pipes on the mantle were missing. And he said, oh, my goodness, has someone stole uh, Dad's pipes? And Lucy told Leonard, no, your dad gave those to Jesus. He found the Lord. He got saved. And he said he's giving up drinking and smoking. And he threw them in the fireplace. And so Leonard loves to tell that story. And so that was sort of the beginning of his father's conversion. Now, from this point forward, Walter had a complete transformation. 
it, it was amazing. In fact, I'm going to read an excerpt from a biography, which, by the way, there is very little information out there on Leonard Ravenhill's biography. He was a very humble man. He did not like to talk about himself. I really had to dig deep to find the things I was able to find. There's just not a lot out there. But uh, this is an excerpt from a biography that was done on him. It said, Mother saw a total transformation in my father. Everything turned around and the whole house was transformed. I then had both a godly mother and father. There was no way I can express the influence my home life had on me with a praying daddy and a singing mother. Father had such a radical transformation. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He says, it was true of my father. He had a new vocabulary and new interest. He was a giant of a guy, yet he was so gentle, and his transformation was so gentle. He did not care about sports anymore. He had no desire for his old habits of drinking and smoking or anything in his old life. Now Christ was his life. The Ravenhill family attended the Methodist New Connection Church in Leeds. So this family had a radical transformation after Walter, the father, converts and becomes saved. Now, Walter will begin to ferociously attend any Bible study, any meeting that comes to town, any group that he can be a part of, and he and David Matthews actually strike up a friendship, and they become friends. And Walter began to take Leonard to these meetings. They would go and hear men like Samuel Chadwick. They would go and hear uh, other people like William Booth. In fact, they become involved with the Salvation Army. They go to the regular meetings of the Salvation Army, and they begin to go to the hospital and pray for the sick. And then they would go listen to Paget Wilkes, who was a missionary at that time, and talk, he would come back and talk about you know his missionary trips. And there was a man that they had loved to go here, whose name was C.T. Studd. He had been a famous soccer player, or there they call it football. He had been a famous footballer in England, and he was radically saved, and he was a missionary, I believe, throughout China. And he would come back and talk about the things the Lord was doing there. And these men had a profound impact on Walter and then, of course, on young Leonard. Now, Leonard was not saved yet. He doesn't actually get saved, even though he's raised now in a Christian home. He's seen his father transformed. He's going to all these meetings of just spiritual giants of their day. And Leonard uh, doesn't have his own conversion experience till around 1921, when he's about 14 or 15 years old. And I'm going to play a little clip here and let, let you hear about that in his own words. I've often said that uh, I didn't come to Jesus as, as an old English hymn that we used to sing so often. I came to Jesus, I was weary and worn and sad I didn't because I was 14. And uh, I didn't understand my father's zeal for God. I didn't come because I was convicted of sin. I came because of the blanks in my life, like he relished reading the Word of God, and he relished going to prayer meetings, even half nights of prayer, and also, more than ever, he relished being a street corner preacher, and that, uh, do you remember the hymn, My Faith Looks Up to Thee, Thy Lamb of Calvary? 
Well, the last stanza says, May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart, my zeal inspire. And my daddy had inspired zeal. God lifted the beggar from the dunghill. He completely changed my daddy. He'd been to a certain system of religion which made him fearful and uh, terrified of priestcraft and all that. And he got marvelously born again as a result of hearing uh, David Matthews who went through the Welsh Revival, then he wrote the classic, it's still a classic on I Saw the Welsh Revival. And my daddy had never been in meetings like that. And the fervor and the joy, uh, the, particularly I remember seeing David Matthews when I was five years of age. I'd never seen anybody preach like he sang like his mouth like an oval, and he had a shock of black wavy hair. And he had a zeal and he had a joy in the Lord that stirred and my daddy got saved. Well, as a result of that, as I say, he became fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I never saw him downcast. I never saw him uh, suggesting about giving up. But, I mean, when he got saved, he, he tossed away his interest in professional football and everything else, which, which of course, became a, a style in England. After you're saved, you never go to a movie, you never go to a professional match. There's so much profanity and so forth. And when I saw that, and I saw the joy, and we lived in comparative poverty. We had much money. My daddy was a laborer. And as a result of that, as I say, at 14, he took me to a half-night of prayer. There were three other men there, and they prayed. And my daddy's a big husky man, taking his coat off at 1 o'clock in the morning in a room that had no heat, and praying with tears and fervor. From that very day, I recognized as something far beyond what the average Christian had. And then after that, of course, I went to the Methodist class meeting till I was 14, and that was full of the joy of Lord. And, uh, I mean, people spoke as though God lived with them all the time, and he did. And there was that same kind of zeal there. I mean, even in those days, back in the 1912, just before World War One, even, uh, there was a half-hour song singing before the Sunday night service, but they didn't sing choruses except choruses from hymns. Or they sang great hymns like, And Can It Be? and so forth. And he had men who would explode in a meeting when he was singing, And Can It Be? that I should... My chains fell off. One old boy would jump at the tears all down his face. He'd strike it up at the end. There's a woman to the left of us. I used to watch her because her neck would go red, and then she'd suddenly burst with a hallelujah, you know. We talk about the joy of the Lord, I've never seen anything like it. Well, at that time, Samuel Chadwick was preaching in the... He had revival on the local level in Leeds. And, of course, the conversation in our house, we hardly ever had a newspaper. There's no talk about films, of course, which were just coming out then. It was all about God and missionaries and so forth. Daddy took me to see Paddy Quirks, who founded the Japan Rescue Mission. I was about... Uh, 12, I think I heard C.T. stood give a lecture one morning and uh, later saw Miss Cable and Miss Francesca French that walked through China and the Gobi Desert and all that kind of... My daddy, wherever there was uh, anything further, I'll tell you, at that <coughs> time, Doncaster was 25 miles away from us. Well, um, there was a Pentecostal fellowship there and I forget the name of the Bible teacher, but my dad would get on a bus to town, another bus from town to Doncaster, and then walk the rest of the way to the fellowship. 
and stay there a weekend and come back radiant as though he'd been in the upper room, which he just about had, because um, Smith Wigglesworth was one of the teachers there and all those guys, and, uh, and nobody in those days scornfully said, said that <coughs> faith healing is fake healing. I mean, there were living evidences of people spontaneously getting out of wheelchairs and so forth, but it wasn't that. Mainly it was a transformation in personality. I mean, they went back to the churches and had prayer meetings, and uh, in our town, we had a little man, he's only, uh, I don't think he weighed above about 110 pounds, and for years he fasted and prayed. He was in a Pentecostal, which was despised. In fact, his wife said to hear him pray, he'd be praying in another room, it was like, you know, a man having a personal encounter with God, he'd wrestle with God. Well then George Jeffries came along in 1927, the whole city was swept in three weeks with the Holy Ghost, and the church in, in, is there today. It's called Bridge Street in Leeds, England, that church is still, it's in its third enlargement. When other churches are going down, they still have that same. They were born in the fire, they maintain the fire, but they maintain prayer all the time. So that was Leonard in his own voice talking about how his dad and him would go to all of these meetings. And at some point, you know, Leonard becomes born again, like he, like he said, around 14 years old. And uh, because he's in a working class area, he goes on and gets a job as a tailor. In fact, he said he wore the nicest clothes in town because he made his own clothes after he learned skills of how to be a tailor. He was apprenticing to go into his own profession to be a tailor, and he and his dad would go to these meetings and go to prayer meetings, and they're devout Christians. And, and at that time, there was the Wesleyan Methodist movement, which they were a part of, and that was sort of known as radical Methodism, and they were uh, involved in the holiness movement, but they were also uh, radicals. They really believed in having, uh, like Wesley this encounter with God, and there was definitely an emphasis on sanctification and holiness, and so that sort of gives you an idea of where they were at, but there was definitely an emphasis on prayer. Prayer was absolutely the main focus, and so they would go to these Tuesday night classes, and during this Tuesday night class, there would be prayer time, and they would um, have these encounters with the Lord, these experiences with the Lord that were birthed out of Bible study and prayer. And so that's very fascinating to me. I want to play another clip, and this one's very short. It's less than a minute. But he talks about he has his own experience around this time uh, while he's working at the Taylor factory. And I'm going to play a very short clip here. It's just about a minute where he talks about that experience. Well, then from there, uh, I was in a factory, working in a factory one day, and I heard a voice say, follow me, and I turned, it was so real. I took my tape off my neck, I was a tailor's cutter, put my shears down and prayed. I remember saying clearly to the Lord, Lord, not only will I not go back, I won't even look back. And that day I applied to go to Cliff College, and then went, Chadwick was the principal there. Well, Chad, the birds both had a flock together. And there he talks about his conversion experience and how he heard prophetically, he heard the Lord calling him in 
to ministry. And so he ends up going to Cliff College where he mentors under Chadwick. Now, remember, we talked about Samuel Chadwick in episode 71 in Prophetic History. He's also a fascinating figure. And so he mentors Leonard as a student. And then throughout the 1930s, Leonard joins with the International Holiness Mission Uh, which was called the IHM, and he will become part of a group called the IHM Trekkers. And these are young men who will walk on foot uh, with a cart, and they would have a large tent on these, you know, series of carts, and they would go from town to town and set up tent revivals. And they would do tent revival meetings all over England, preaching the gospel, and they would typically stay somewhere for a few weeks, and then they would move on. And when revival would break out, they would stay sometimes as, uh, as long as a month or two in one spot. And so they would just go from town to town. And he did this basically f- for the entire 1930s throughout that decade and a little into the 40s. In fact, the, um, the Oldman mission was one of the campaigns, and it was an extremely large crowd. People would line up. It would cause traffic jams. It was written about in their newspapers how that this particular revival went on for quite some time and drew, you know, very large crowds and and saw hundreds converted, healed, delivered from uh, alcoholism was plaguing England at this time. And so this was an amazing story. Well, let's jump to the 1950. So at this time in the 40s, Leonard becomes becomes an evangelist. He's traveling during this time, and he's had some speaking engagements in America. Now, in 1951, Leonard has an extraordinary event happen in his life. And so I found a newspaper article that talks about this account. It says, Chicago Hotel Fire Kills Three, Hurts Nine, Evangelist Rescues Fellow Workers. So what had happened is the hotel had caught on fire. Uh, Leonard and this other evangelist from Ireland, whose name is Tom Hare, they were staying in rooms next to each other. Uh, Ravenhill is 44 at the time, and Reverend Hare is 74. And it says that Ravenhill was awoken by the smoke. It says that he got up and thought of his friend and went to the room next door to wake him up. Let me just read his account right here to you. In fact, Ravenhill says this in his own words. It says, Mr. Ravenhill from a hospital bed where he was being treated for possible leg fracture, hand burns, and shock gave this account. Quote, I thought of my friend Tom in the next room and went over and awakened him. We went to the window near the fire escape, but the flames were shooting up around it. There was a great deal of screaming and shouting. We went to another window. I held Tom's head out so he could get some air. I burned my hand on the bricks. Then I helped Tom out of the window, and I jumped myself. It says the two men have been conducting revival meetings here. Those who leap landed in an ice-crusted alley on the north side of the building. Uh, It said that Leonard had broken his back in three places. He broke his leg. He had burns on his hand, and he basically shattered his ankle. In fact, Leonard will go back to Ireland for over, uh, he said basically it took him three years to fully recover, but he went back to Ireland with Tom, Tom Hare, and he recuperated and convalesced there, and he said the church was wonderful. They took care of him and his family. And he said it was during this time 
that he really drew closer to the Lord and focused on his inner relationship with the Lord. And he decides to come uh, back to the States. In 1958, he will move to Minnesota after he felt a leading from the Lord, and he taught at Bethany College of Missions near Minneapolis. Now, during these years, he uh, struck up a friendship with A.W. Tozer. Um, I love A.W. Tozer. We may do a podcast of history on him as well. And Tozer begins to mentor Leonard Ravenhill, and he said he really Uh, spoke to him about his prayer life, about his inner life, about having a deeper understanding of God, and they've become lifelong, very close friends. And Leonard will go on to be an evangelist. He will do speaking engagements. He will be at the college. He will write several books. It is during these years that he writes his famous book, Why Revival Tarries, which I have to tell you is on my top 10 Every Christian needs to read this book list. It's, it's right up there, I would say, in the top three. Fantastic book. You really must read it. Just It had made such a powerful, powerful impact on my life. In fact, I'm just going to grab the book here and, and flick some pages and just pick a spot and read because there's really so many. My, my book is completely marked up. It says, um, to the question, he says this in Wild Revival Terry's, Where is the Lord God of Elijah, we answered, where he has always been on the throne, but where are the Elijahs of God? Wow, I love that. He's just so good. He doesn't mince words. He just gets right to the meat of of everything that he's saying, and it's just so fantastic. He he was really uh, such an amazing speaker. He says, the moon of revival has not yet risen on this hell-bound Christ-rejecting, speeding-to-judgment generation. We don't sit at ease in Zion anymore. We have gone past that. We just sleep. In the church, pillars have given place to pillows. That'll preach right there. He, he is, uh, his book will fire you up, that's for sure. And so I want to speak, too, about the, the end of his life. So in the 1980s, he moves to Texas And he moves to Last Days Ministries Ranch, where Keith Green was. And uh, I want to speak to Keith Green for just a moment, because Ravenhill will mentor Keith Green for several years. In fact, they are buried uh, near each other right there at Last Days Ministries Ranch. Now, Keith Green, if you're not familiar with who he is, and I want to play a short clip of Ravenhill talking about Keith Green. Keith Green uh, is someone who, whether you realize it or not, if you're a believer, you have been heavily influenced by Keith Green. He is considered the father of modern worship music. He was a pioneer in worship music, one of the first people to really break away from hymns and do spontaneous prophetic worship. And uh, I remember... When I was in elementary school, we went to the school uh, for like a, I guess it was a, a show and tell or parent meeting. It was one of those where you meet the teacher or show off, you know, the things you had done. And my mother and I and my sister were at the school. And I remember someone coming in and telling my mother that Keith Green had died in a plane crash. And I remember how upset we were because we listened to his music you know, all the time. And so that was just 
very, you know, very sad and very personal. And so there was that connection there. And then uh, later reading Wild Revival Terry's and, and becoming aware of Leonard Ravenhill and then later finding out that they had a connection was just really special and just made it feel very personal. And so Keith Green uh, is just an amazing person who who has affected our modern Christian world in ways that we just really probably won't know the fullness of until we get to heaven. But I do want to play this really short clip. It's, it's about a minute long where Leonard is talking about his relationship with Keith Green. Well, Keith was a zealot. I mean, he, he bounced through that door. I remember he, when, I, when this division is, it used to be a wall and Dave Wilkinson pulled it out and furnished all this for me. And uh, Wilkinson would come one day, Cream would come the other, as opposite as could be, because David was mature, he'd been a pastor for about 20 years then. Keith, of course, had come from the guts, and he'd tell you about his past life and sordidness. But he was hungry for God. I remember definitely a turn in his life when I told him he shouldn't charge to go into concerts, when they didn't do, they'd gone back to it this last week, I think, but they didn't do that. And... Uh, I remember talking to him about eternity on one occasion and holiness on another. And he, he, you know, like a trout jumping up to get a fly, he got all of it like that. And, and he would come back. I remember he bounced through the door. He didn't know he could. He wanted to get through it before he opened it. He opened it and bounced through. And there's a big guy. And he, I remember he used to give me pops and give me a hug. He said, pops, he said, do you know what all roads lead to? We used to say, in England, all roads lead to Rome. It's an old saying. Everybody travels to Rome to see. He said, do you know where all roads lead to? I said, no, the same thing. No, he said, you're wrong. I said, why? He said, all roads lead to the judgment seat. <laughs> I said, very good. And he had a, I don't know, I, I've never read this anywhere, but I think it's right to say he had a holy fever or if you, if you like a fear of God, I mean, when you think he didn't live very long, but I still get letters about him. If he fasted, he fasted. If he prayed, he prayed. There's a uniqueness as well. My, my precious wife had a tremendous insight to people. The first time she saw him, she said, Len, uh, the Spirit of God is on that young man. I mean, he, he was willing to live at full strength. He expected others to do the same thing for him. Yeah. And that's Leonard talking about Keith Green, and he also mentioned in there David Wilkerson. Uh, Leonard also mentored David Wilkerson. In fact, at the end of his life, he mentored several pastors. He had a weekly Bible study, and then he would mentor and do special times with other ministers, and that was something that he was known for, was mentoring pastors. In fact, I, I'm a believer in that. I hope that most of our pastors are being mentored by an older minister. I think there's a lot of value in that. But the, the influence of Ravenhill can never be understated. He he has so much influence that lives on in the evangelical church today. In fact, some notable people that he has mentored is uh, Tommy Tenney. You know, Tommy Tenney is, is a f- famous, popular uh, Assemblies of God minister. Steve Hill. You know, Steve Hill was the father of the Brownsville Revival. Uh, Charles Stanley, Paul Washer, David Wilkerson, Keith Green, A.W. Tozer. I mean, there's just so many people that he's had direct influence on. 
And uh, whether you realize it or not, if you're a part of the Pentecostal charismatic churches or evangelical churches, you have probably been influenced by someone that Ravenhill mentored. And we can take that all the way back to Chadwick. Chadwick played a role in that, and we can take that back to Evan Roberts and the Welsh Revival. And so I hope you enjoyed this uh, stroll through uh, Leonard Ravenhill's life and his history and the prophetic impact of of this man and his life. You know, just uh, a guy who was working in a tailor shop who had witnessed his father's conversion and his mother's steadfast faith and how that had an impact on him and how he helped change the world. It's just fascinating. I'm not going to do our outro music today. I'm going to leave us with a little compilation I had found on Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, this was just an example of his preaching and teaching. And if you've never heard him preach, you know, I would definitely say there's several clips on YouTube that people have put together. Leonard Ravenhill passes away in 1994. He was born in 1907, and uh, he was known for, you know, mostly his books and his traveling, and uh, he also wrote a book uh, called A Portrait of a Revival Preacher about John Wesley. Uh, some of his other books that, uh, you know, I would definitely definitely recommend was uh, Revival Praying, uh, zeal, love ablaze. I mean, he's just got so many wonderful books. I would definitely say that uh, anything that he's written is going to be fantastic. But I want to leave you with this compilation that I was talking about, and I really hope this will bless you and minister to you because uh, he is he is a phenomenal speaker. And if you've never heard him preach, I definitely say you know sp- spend a little time looking up some of his uh, preaching compilations. They're so powerful. I hope this blesses you. I hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed. I'm sick of theology and words. We need God to move in our midst. Oh, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, Lord, don't stay there. Come down here. The one thing that alarms me in America and England is that there is no alarm in the church. You say America needs God. No, she doesn't. The church needs God. If the church gets God, America will soon feel it. She'll be staggering. A preacher said something the other day that's very disturbing to an audience that he was addressing. He said, I want to tell you that if God withdrew the Holy Spirit from my church today, it would function tomorrow the same way we wouldn't even know he'd gone. And methinks that might be written on many churches in that we become so mechanical. We go in at 11 and come out at 12 and the Holy Ghost must come when we open the door of the church and he must leave when we lock it. And we try and lay down the track and say, come Holy Ghost, for thee we call spirit of burning candle, come out of Holy Ghost, come, but please don't violate our theology. Don't upset our status quo. Don't break our hearts over the lost world. Oh, yes, yes, preachers. You and I will raise our hats to Finney and Bowles. And we raise our hats to the martyrs. And we thank God for the last drop of their blood, but we won't give him the first drop of ours. I can't live in 
I don't get to the cross now, they die before the meeting's over. Every preacher who has lost the fire, you should be on your face down here. You used to burn, but you got so busy with organizing, the fire has gone out. Come on! You can't patch up your prayer life when you get to the judgment seat. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. Listen, if our God is a consuming fire, and he is, if he takes up residence in you, you'll burn till you die. God needs a torch of holy fire in your house. He wants a fire in you to read the word of God to your family. He wants the fire of God your neighbors will know. I can't live in coldness anymore. I can't live in blindness anymore. I can't be indifferent to a dying world. Yes. Glory. Glory to God. Thank you, Father.